Welcome to Making the Rounds. Today, AMA senior news writer Brendan Murphy interviews Dr. Mark Meyer, a board-certified family physician and senior associate dean for student affairs at the University of Kansas Medical Center. He also serves as the chair of the AMA Academic Physician Section. In this episode, Dr. Meyer unpacks ways to spruce up your application packet in preparation for match. Here's news writer Brendan Murphy. Hello, welcome to Meet Your Match, a special series on making the rounds. I'm Brendan Murphy, senior news writer here at the American Medical Association. And today I'm very lucky to have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Mark Meyer, Senior Associate Dean for Student Affairs at the University of Kansas Medical Center in Kansas City. Dr. Meyer, it's so great to have you here. How are you today? I'm very well, and thank you. Glad to be here. Well, it's great to have you, and uh, we've known each other for many years, and mm-hmm. I'm so excited you could join us today because this is our first episode in this series, and we're going to go through the match, each step of the process as it happens for students Um, and you have a unique expertise as a student-facing dean. Today, we are specifically going to speak to the application packet and what goes in it and what students should do as they're finalizing it, and that includes the letters of recommendation, CV, um, your grades, other things of that ilk. Uh, So let's let's dig in. Very good. So I think a good starting point here is talking about your unique expertise and experience with guiding students through the match process and the opening stages of it. Can you tell us about that a little bit? Sure. I've had the very good fortune of serving as a student affairs dean for 22 years. And prior to that, I served five years as a residency program director in family medicine. So I've had the opportunity to see the match from both the residency side and now considerably so through the student side. So I've learned a lot. Uh, The match has changed considerably over that time frame. And it is a very challenging stressful time for students. So the more information, the better information we provide students, uh, I think the better we can help uh, ensure a positive outcome for them. And uh, looking at these these opening stages, the residency application process, can you talk about the steps and, and how the ERAs, uh, the electronic residency application service works? Sure. You know, the ultimate goal of the residency application process is to allow every student to have a joyous match day, which is the third Friday of March each year. Um, Before that, on Monday of match week is what I call Melancholy Monday. Melancholy Monday, when they find out if they did not match, that leads to a process known as SOAP week, where they scramble to secure a a residency position. And that is a very stressful time. So I I kind of prepare our students that our our goal is to avoid SOAP. SOAP is a four letter word, and we want to do anything and everything we can in our power to prevent that, which takes us to the residency application process. Uh, There are several elements to that, uh, one of which is a medical student's transcript. Uh, Schools upload the transcript to the ARIS program. Uh, along with a medical student performance evaluation, also known as the MSPE. Previously, it was known as the Dean's Letter. Central to the ARIS application uh, process is the actual application, which medical students would recognize as very similar to the AMCAS application, which they completed in their application to medical school. So the actual application details all of their demographic information, their uh, educational experiences, service, leadership, research experiences, and various other things that contribute to who the individual student is. 
also part of the ARIS application is a student's personal statement. And we may touch on that a little bit more, but it is very similar to the personal statement that was part of the AMCAS application. Uh, how the student arrived at their selection of a residency specialty, uh, what they are looking for in a program, and possibly what are their long-term professional aspiration. Also feeding into the ARIS application are letters of recommendation. Um, a unique feature of that is schools, uh, offices of student affairs do not upload letters. Uh, letter writers themselves have to upload that letter. Uh, so that there is no uh, manipulation or, or uh, conveying of any confidential information from a letter writer's letter uh, before it goes into the, the uh, uh, heiress uh, basket, if you will. So those are the uh, essential elements of the residency application. Some of those aspects of the residency application are sort of set in stone. You talked about mm -hmm. transcripts and letters of recommendation you're not gonna be able to tweak those last minute as we sit right. here a few weeks from applications opening via, via ARIS. Um, what are some of the last minute tweaks students can make? Well, they want to ensure accuracy of their ARIS application. Everything that is detailed in that application must be clear uh, for those things that may not be readily apparent to a third party reviewer. They need to provide a succinct yet complete description of what that activity is. For example, a community service activity may have great name recognition in our community, but mean nothing to uh, uh, people in multiple other states where the application may go. Um, and it really bears mentioning accuracy, uh, proper grammar, proper punctuation, attention to detail is essential. And, and to you know, share it in an example, you know, it is easier to dislike an application, dislike an applicant, than it is to potentially like an applicant because that, that can take some work. But if you see a grammatical error, it, it just makes you think, how is this individual potentially going to be paying attention to detail when they're on call, they're fatigued and stressed. So it, 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 it's an extreme uh, thing to, to make that decision, I know, but they are looking for ways to make decisions and accuracy and clarity and preciseness is, is essential to having a most um, uh, or well-organized and, and um, uh, a competitive application. So you mentioned this at the top of the episode that you've been on the other side of the coin. Right mm -hmm. now you work with students, but you've also been a residency program director. Yeah. So having been on both sides of the equation, can you speak to what are the most important aspects of the application and how sure. residency programs view an application? Yeah, and, and let me just say, I have great respect for residency programs because it is a complex market, if you will, and residency programs can often be inundated with hundreds, if not even a, a few thousand applications uh, for a relatively small number of spots uh, at their program. And they have to have a system in place to sort those. They, they for the most part, all want to review applications in a holistic thoughtful fashion, but it is a volume issue. So they oftentimes use what are referred to as filters. And, and that is never optimal uh, because it, it often stands the, the risk of shortchanging a really great applicant, but they are trying to deal with volume. So clearly some things that are low hanging fruit, easy things to filter, unfortunately, are step, step exams. 
uh, step one, step two. Historically, step one has had a disproportionate uh, impact in um, residency decision-making, um, and that is poised to be changed with uh, step one this year going past fail. Yet the downstream effect is unfortunately probably step two, which will continue to be a three, three uh, digit numerical score will probably ascend in importance. And the, and the fundamental problem with that is students don't take step two till their fourth year, earlier in their fourth year. So if, if that doesn't fall into place at a potentially competitive level, um, a student may in fairly short order have to reconsider what they're applying for because unfortunately the residency marketplace is features a, a competitive spirit. There are a finite number of residency positions in every specialty and the more competitive specialties typically have the fewest number of positions in the match. So a lot of things have to be aligned, but uh, clearly you want uh, every applicant to uh, bolster their, what I refer to as portfolio through research, leadership, service, uh, potentially outstanding letters of recommendation. Again, those letters can speak to the character, work ethic, professionalism of the applicant. That's all great insight. And this is, a, as you said earlier, this match is a little bit uh, unique in that we will still see step one scores. Yes. I would ask, you mentioned earlier proofreading grammatical errors. What are some other common mistakes make in the in the application packet and where in that packet do they tend to fall? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thank you for that question. And and I I would say um, a mistake that a student uh, can often make is misjudging their level, level of competitiveness. And again, I am a student advocate. I, I do everything in my power to help our students be successful. But the residency marketplace, um, it, it's, it's competitive. And if a student has, and I'll speak in the extreme, let's say a setback on a step exam, or they have to repeat a course in medical school, in many respects, that makes them less, if not completely non-competitive for some of the more competitive specialties, such as surgical subspecialties, uh, dermatology. And so if, if they can be a wonderful human being and a potentially future outstanding physician, yet those are things that are probably going to eliminate them from consideration. So if they are not applying to a specialty where they can really leverage their strengths and minimize their, their weakness, in this case, a step exam or course, that they are prone to, to have a less than positive outcome on the match. Um, other things that they can do to, to bolster their competitiveness is, is just to make certain that they, they select individuals who provide letters of recommendation that can really speak to the essence of who they are, their contribution, their sincerity, conscientiousness, and care of the patient, and carrying out their other professional duties. So it kind of sounds like there's a measure of sort of uh, self-reflection and just sort of understanding where your strengths lie. Yes. In terms of understanding how competitive an applicant you are, how would you recommend students go about that process? Yeah, that's an excellent question. Um, fortunately, there are a number of resources available, both at the local school level as well as national. Uh, I frequently encourage our students to uh, have conversations with program directors uh, from the specialty that they are, are wanting to uh, go into. 
they can also consult with national resources through the AAMC, such as the Careers in Medicine, as well as the Residency Explorer tool. Uh, both of those tools can provide some information about what those specialties are looking for. And of course, AMA has an outstanding uh, program referred to as FRIDA. It too provides very useful information that can help a student gauge what is their level of competitiveness relative to the national field. Yeah, and again, competitiveness is measured in different terms, but it is generally viewed as the match rate in a specialty. Is that is that fair? Uh, yes, and I guess the other way to look at it is, um, do they have, well, I guess it's the match rate as you described. Some specialties have few to no open spots uh, uh, at the beginning of match week. So uh, there's little chance for a student, say, who is unmatched in ortho to find a spot that they could potentially scramble into or soap into. And so right then they're immediately looking at what is a different specialty that they might be willing to compete for and hopefully be content with or at least position themselves to um, uh, serve as a, a, a intern in that specialty and possibly reapply through the match the following year. You took care of the nation. It's time for the nation to take care of you. The AMA stood by America's physicians and patients during the pandemic, and we're not stopping there. We're fixing prior authorization, leading the charge on Medicare payment reform, supporting telehealth, fighting scope creep, and reducing physician burnout. It's time to rebuild, and the AMA is ready. To learn more about the AMA Recovery Plan for America's Physicians, go to ama-assn.org slash time to rebuild. So as you mentioned at the top of the podcast, this episode is about how you can avoid soap. However, you can get fruitful outcomes through soap and a little plug for what we're doing here. We're going to have a soap episode when the time arises in March. <laughs> um, so yeah. please stick with us as we do these. I would say, I would ask this, the application packet can be a little mathematical. How do you show your personality? How do you show your compassion? How do you show your skills in that packet? Yeah. Uh, another great question. And I would say principally through your personal statement, because that is where your true personality, um, the listing of lived experiences, services that you've been uh, part of, um, a, a meaningful patient encounter, where you can really convey to the letter reader or personal statement reader, um, what makes you tick, what, what makes you somebody that they might potentially want in their program that they can trust in the middle of the night and caring for a, a critically ill patient. And then you can, of course, build on that in the interview. Yeah, and I'll, I'll add to this other uh, tidbit. In the description of the activities in your uh, ARIS application, you know, service in particular, maybe you've been elected into some honoraries, such as gold humanism uh, or alpha omega alpha AOA, those uh, honor organizations can basically serve as a uh, indicator that you have met a high standard under the measurables of those two uh, honor systems and, and have brought you know some degree of recognition by your election into that. And that would generally be on the CV? Yes. The CV is typically a, a paper document that we keep 
or electronic document that we keep uh, during our professional career. A CV is basically translated then into the ARIS application. And the ARIS application obviously allows for greater elaboration on what various experiences are. So a CV is a helpful organizing tool so that when you sit down and start to fill out the ARIS application form itself, you have all the key elements you want to populate ARIS with right there in front of you. That's great. That's very helpful. And if you want more information on preparing your CV, we have a wonderful story that Dr. Meyer collaborated with me on on the AMA website um, that should be helpful in the process of constructing one of those. You mentioned that there is sort of always an evolution of the match process. There are some new elements to the application. Um, Those include preference signaling and supplemental applications. Can you discuss those a little bit and what specialties and how they are specialty specific? Yeah, Um, it is a relatively new feature. Um, Medical schools have had supplemental applications for many, many years, but it's a relatively new feature for certain specialties, some, but not all, uh, but there are many. Likewise, the signaling process. And fortunately, uh, ARIS, which is the Electronic Residency Application Service, uh, provides an excellent information packet that is distributed to all students who register for the match that really details what are the elements, um, how are they used, um, and how an applicant can use them potentially to their benefit. Uh, Some of the supplemental um, uh, packets are are listed as optional. And my advice to students is you should seize that because it's still another opportunity for you to express an element of who you are to a residency program that may help you secure an interview. So by all by all means, uh, complete that uh, as thoroughly, completely, and accurately as you can. The signaling process is also new, and it is very varied. Forgive my redundancy there, but you know some specialties you can list maybe two uh, top programs. Others, it's it's maybe twenty to thirty. So it's kind of all over the board as programs are starting to kind of use this, figure out how it might help and assist them in their decision-making process. But again, because it varies from specialty to specialty, I would refer students to this ARIS document, as well as specialty-specific information websites or, or, or packets to learn the precise way in which that specialty is planning to use those elements in their application process. And just for background, the way the preference signaling process works is a student expresses specific interest in a desired institution that could be as many as 30 or as few as three. And it's going to vary greatly, as you said, by specialty. Correct. So this comes to a question that I think a lot of students have this time of year. How many schools should they apply to (laughs) in recent years? That number has been on the rise, but is it, is there a magic number? Is it case dependent? Is it specialty dependent? How do you counsel students on that decision? Oh yeah, that and that's a really hard uh, question, and it truly can vary from student to student, specialty to specialty, level of competitiveness, and your geographic uh, location. Um, how well known, if you will, is your school? Uh, what's the professional reputation of your school? So let me try to kind of tease that out. So for the more competitive specialties, such as surgical subspecialties, uh, dermatology. 
um, you probably need to apply to more than if you are a, a, if you will, solid candidate applying for primary care. You know, there are stories and, you know, from time to time, even my students, despite our advice telling them not to uh, apply to, you know, over 100 programs. I respect what they their mindset is because they this is the most important application of their life today and they do not want to leave anything to chance. It's a very expensive proposition to apply to that many. But we are also counseling them that the goal of your application process should be to secure double digit interviews, ideally in the 12 to 15, maybe 18, depending on the specialty, with the ultimate goal of being able to um, uh, rank in low double digit programs because the NRMP, National Residency Matching Program, has done studies and they show the more interviews, the more you rank, the greater the probability you will match. So we are, we are utilizing that tool to help guide our students. But, but clearly it ultimately boils down to how many interviews do you get? So what has happened is with the onset of virtual interviews, there has been an uptick. And so students are ranking more, but it's also clogged, if you will, the system a bit. Programs have adapted. They are interviewing more students than ever before. Um, and so it, it has evened out a little bit. Plus, doing virtual interviews is far less labor intensive um, than in-person interviews. So it hasn't been a huge uh, increase in workload. But there does come a, a, the law of diminishing returns where if you are not strategic in where you apply, it's basically a, a foregone conclusion. You're not going to get an interview. So I'll use my institution, University of Kansas, located in Kansas City, Kansas. We, we have, a, I think, a solid reputation in the greater Midwest. Historically, our students have matched well in the greater Midwest, you know, from the mountains uh, to the uh, Appalachians uh, along the Southeast Corridor. But we have placed students in literally all 50 states, or at least every state that has a residency program. But our students are best advised to apply to programs in the greater Midwest where they have uh, a greater likelihood of possibly having a, a graduate of our school in the past, hopefully. Uh, that person left a very positive reputation. So it increases the likelihood that a student will not only interview, but then possibly rank because residency programs want to interview individuals that they have a high likelihood of one, wanting to rank, and two, if ranked and if selected, that they, they come to their program and do a good job. So I know I've, I've, I've talked a long time and not really answered your question, but it really <laughs> means it depends. But we tell our students to be strategic, apply to programs where you are competitive based on the national data that we have. Um, as a backup plan, um, you should possibly interview in another specialty. For example, if you're interested in orthopedic surgery, you might want to also apply to general surgery or if, if acceptable to you, maybe radiology or anesthesiology. You have to have a plan B. So if you're in primary care and you're a mid-level uh, to maybe competitive, your plan B may be just interview or apply to more um, academic programs in the greater Midwest and maybe a few others, maybe even some community-based programs. So it's really trying to build out 
a balanced portfolio of aspirational uh, programs as our students or reach programs as students call it to solid programs um, uh, which are where you are most competitive and then safe investments or safe applications maybe to community-based programs because the goal again is to have a job uh, at the end of medical school. So for this 22-23 match cycle, September 7th is the day that applications open while residency programs can't see them till later in the month, that date being September 28th. Is there any reason to get it in right away or is it better to have it right? It's better to have it right. You know, we always encourage our students, don't wait till the last minute because historically the electronic databases or systems uh, surrounding the ARIS opening day, the SOAP period, um, they bog down, they crash. And so we really encourage our students to get it in there, put it behind you, clear your mind, and be ready to move to the next uh, level, which is hopefully accepting interview offers. And I should also point out, we talked about supplemental applications earlier. The deadline for supplemental applications, if that's relevant to the specialty you're applying, is September 16th. Um, with that, we've covered a lot of ground here. What didn't we discuss about these first steps of the residency, residency selection process that are important for applicants? Yeah, and thank you for asking that question because it, it, is, um, it is important that students understand there is the formal residency application cycle, if you will, that begins during your senior year. But your residency application begins as early as your first year of medical school, including your academic work, your service, your leadership, your research, um, your, your um, familiarity and, and developing relationships, professional relationships with faculty who may be future letter writers. Um, and so it's not a wait till your senior year and put everything in place. You've got to build out your portfolio, your professional portfolio that places you in a position to be competitive. A fundamental part of that, and, and it's not necessarily uh, needed by all applicants, but is an important process known as the Visiting Student Program or Learning Opportunity, VSLO. And that is a program that opens up during the spring of, of uh, med students' junior year, and they can apply to do a one-month uh, rotation at another institution. That is often called, you know, uh, in-person interview um, uh, in and of itself. And so they can go and spend a month with people within the program, both faculty and residents, they get to know your work ethic, your personality, your professionalism. And that's an extended interview, um, which is clearly, generally speaking, much better than, you know, a couple hour virtual interview. So if it's feasible, and I realize it's not feasible for everyone because it's expensive. Typically, students have to pay double rent, both, you know, at their home institution, whatever city or program they're rotating at, uh, they have to you know, make do with with new food arrangements and uh, housing arrangements and the like, transportation arrangements. But it really is something that some specialties, uh, more than others, generally surgical subspecialties, they tend to place greater value on visiting students than, than say, primary care does. So that that is clearly something. Um, And then I also encourage students to really study how the match works so that they understand what are the key components, how to rank programs. Um, lastly, I also recommend looking at the uh, NRMP website. 
there's a biannual program director survey and by specialty, they break down what are the most important things that program directors in that specialty consider when viewing an applicant. And so they rank order lists, you know, from one to 20, the things that that program director, that specialty place greatest priority on. And so I think it's good then for students to understand the, 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 the workings, the machinery of the match, but also what do residency programs look for as they are reviewing applicants for their program. And I, I would also ask, in terms of guidance, maybe you could speak to who students should be speaking to as the clock winds down here and the application deadline looms. Yeah, well, every school in the country has an Office of Student Affairs with a person like me there to really help guide, shepherd, support uh, um, every medical student applying to the match. Um, we are all in in student affairs. We want our students to be successful. We want them to achieve their dreams. And so we are clearly advocating for our students. Sometimes that means we, we tell them information that they may not necessarily want to hear, but a goal we're, our goal is to help them be successful. So uh, we are not in a position to tell a student not to try. You know, that, that would be wrong of us, but we should counsel them that they may not be as competitive as they need to be to have a high probability of success. Therefore, they need to have a plan B or a backup plan because again, guided by our goal, we want every student to have a joyous match day in March, and we want them to have a job upon completing medical school. Well, I think that just about covers it for this first episode of Meet Your Match. It was such a pleasure to have you here, Dr. Meyer. Um, I've been Brendan Murphy. I'm a senior news writer for the AMA. Thanks for joining us for this special series for Making the Rounds. And then stay with us as we go through other topics. Next big milestone is, as you mentioned, interview invitations. So we look forward to covering that in some depth. So thank you so much for your time, Dr. Meyer. Thank you, Brendan. And I really appreciate having the opportunity. Good luck to all the applicants. Good luck and stick with us. You can subscribe to Making the Rounds and other great AMA podcasts anywhere you listen to yours or visit ama-assn.org slash podcasts. Thank you for listening.